This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 308, entitled, Is Jesus the Son of Man in First Enoch? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, this is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, and First Enoch is not contained within my particular Bible. What are we doing in this particular episode? Well, that is a fair point, and I hope that the scope of this particular episode is not going to cause our normal listeners to overlook the contents of it, because the episode does deal with, of course, a very important biblical figure, that is Jesus of Nazareth, and of course, one of his most noteworthy titles, the Son of Man. And in First Enoch, there is a famous figure that is called Son of Man, and many scholars have looked at the Son of Man figure within First Enoch and looked at the depictions of Jesus as the Son of Man, and they tried to draw parallels and connections between the two bodies of literature, between the corpus of First Enoch and, of course, the New Testament Gospels. So let's talk a little bit about First Enoch. So First Enoch, of course, is an extra-biblical book. It wasn't written by the historical Enoch. It was written about the Enoch figure, and it's the first of many documents that are given the title Enoch. It is an apocalyptic book, meaning that it is focused on revealing and unveiling certain heavenly truths. And the book First Enoch actually developed over the course of hundreds of years, probably over the course of three centuries. Within the book of First Enoch, there are 108 chapters, and there are five different sections within First Enoch that were written by different persons over the course of hundreds of years, and eventually they were all put together into the document that we now know as First Enoch. Now, the section in which the Son of Man appears within First Enoch is a distinct section within chapters 37 through 71, and this section is going to be the focus of our study for today. This particular section is called the Similitudes, and it's also called the Parables. So you'll note that particular terminology, and those two phrases are synonymous in scholarly literature when describing chapters 37 through 71. Now, in his recently published book, and by recent I mean November of 2023, Richard Bauckham, who is a world-famous New Testament scholar, in the book entitled Son of Man, Volume 1, and there's going to be another volume after this, Richard Bauckham argues that these particular chapters actually date to the late 1st century and perhaps even the early 2nd century CE, going against a popular trend that seems to date the similitudes to the 1st century BC. First Enoch, in a very important detail, draws upon the biblical book of Daniel, because the biblical book of Daniel has the portrayal of the Son of Man figure. That, of course, is in Daniel chapter 7. So Daniel chapter 7, of course, was written first, and First Enoch 
chapters 37 through 71 came after, and they are drawing upon and developing the theology of the Son of Man figure from Daniel chapter 7. Now, the Ethiopic Church, the Ethiopic Christian Church, actually has a canon of the Bible that contains the book First Enoch. And the Ethiopic Church will read First Enoch, and they'll see the Son of Man in there, and they will regard that figure as none other than Jesus Christ himself. Now, it's important to note that Christianity was not introduced into Ethiopia until the 4th century CE. And so this Christian community was responsible, eventually, for translating First Enoch from Greek into Ethiopic. And this translation of Ethiopic took place sometime between the 4th and 6th centuries CE. The book of First Enoch now survives only in Ethiopic. It doesn't survive in Greek or in its likely original language, which is either Hebrew or Aramaic. So this week's episode is going to focus on First Enoch in order to ascertain whether it actually talks about the figure of Jesus, whom the New Testament Gospels call the Son of Man. We will also explore whether the New Testament Gospels show any literary dependence upon First Enoch. So, who is the Son of Man in First Enoch? What does Son of Man mean within that particular book? And does it offer any clarity on Jesus' favorite title that he uses for himself within the pages of the New Testament? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the Son of Man in First Enoch. Now we can read a variety of passages, we can read a, a variety of chapters, but I just want to focus on what is arguably the most important one, the one that those who are familiar with First Enoch are going to want to have me discuss. And that, of course, is in the final chapter of this section. Remember, the similitudes is chapters 37 through 71. So in the last chapter, in chapter 71, verse 14, it says that an angel came to me and greeted me and said, You, son of man, who are born in righteousness and in whom righteousness has dwelt, the righteousness of the antecedent of time will not fail you. That's First Enoch 71, verse 14. And in this passage, Enoch himself is called by the authoritative revelatory angel, the Son of Man. Enoch is talking, and he says, The angel came to me and greeted me and said to me, You, Son of Man. So we really could just end the entire episode right now. I can stop the recording and we could be done, but... That, of course, has not convinced many people, even though it seems to be an outright definitive and self-evident conclusion at the end of this particular section. So a fair question that could be asked is, why was Enoch selected to be portrayed as the Son of Man? Like, why even go through all of the trouble of writing something and portraying this random figure from the book of Genesis and describe him as son of man by drawing on Daniel chapter 7. Like, what is the purpose of doing that? So let's start by looking at the Old Testament. Now, in Genesis chapter 5, we've got this long genealogy that begins with Adam and Eve. And Enoch 
is displayed within this genealogy as exceptional among all those who came before him. And in the Hebrew text of Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, it says that while Enoch walked with God, God, quote, took him, end quote, using the Hebrew verb lakak. So what does lakak mean? Okay, this is actually an ambiguous verb. It could mean that God took him, meaning God took his life. Or it could mean that God took him, as in he moved him to another location, that God took him somewhere else. And this ambiguous passage, like many ambiguous passages in the Bible tend to do, they lead to reckless speculation by the readers who absolutely must have some sort of satisfying answer so they can go to sleep at night. And this particular speculation is what unsettles so many readers of the Bible. So we have Enoch described as someone who walked with God, and then God took him. Now, even though Noah also walked with God, according to Genesis, early interpreters regarded Enoch's particular type of walking with God as literally walking among the angels in heaven, rather than walking with God in the sense of an obedient life according to God's standards. So in other sections of First Enoch that are outside of the Son of Man passages, First Enoch describes the figure of Enoch as walking in a heavenly vision. He is touring the cosmos, and he is basking in these heavenly revelations. And after his visionary experience in which he's walking among the angels, Enoch actually returns down to earth then in his 365th year of his life, God took him to become the Son of Man. That is how the book of First Enoch understands the passage in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, where it says that Enoch walked with God, and then God took him. So you might tend to disagree with how the book of First Enoch actually understood that particular passage. You might read it in the normal way, in the sense that Enoch was walking with God in an obedient, faithful way, and then God took him. Now, it seems that the purpose of this section of 1 Enoch, chapters 37 through 71, is to supply a new answer to Enoch's biblical story. What does it mean that Enoch walked with God and God took him? And so the parables of Enoch in chapters 37 through 71 offers a legendary response to this question that has led to so much speculation. So, Enoch is described and told that he is the Son of Man. More specifically, it says, you, Son of Man. I don't want to get ahead of myself, because I might have suggested that Son of Man is a designated title that is given to First Enoch. But is that actually the case? People might look at Son of Man in the New Testament Gospels, and they will say that is clearly a title that is given to Jesus. The Greek definite article is used to describe it as a title. But is that what is going on in First Enoch? That'll move us to our second point today. Is Son of Man a title in First Enoch? So as we view, First Enoch has survived 
as a literary piece only in the Ethiopic language. And we possess over 40 manuscripts of the Ethiopic First Enoch. And scholars who specialized in First Enoch and in the Ethiopic language have observed several strands of evidence that the Ethiopic was actually translated from Greek, which makes sense. The Ethiopic church wants to have it in their own language, so they're going to translate into Ethiopic. But Greek was not the first language, the original language in which First Enoch was written. That was either Hebrew or Aramaic. It was one of those two Semitic languages. So the surviving text of First Enoch that we have in our possession is a translation of a translation. And we're doing the best we can with what we have. Now, what you need to know about the Ethiopic language is that it does not have an emphatic state. Ethiopic does not have an emphatic state. Now, Ethiopic does not have a definite article either. The word the. So we have the word the in the three biblical languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. But Ethiopic does not have a definite article. It doesn't have an emphatic state and doesn't have a definite article. And the surviving text of First Enoch never calls this Son of Man figure the Son of Man in the way that you might expect if it was a title. And you'll recall that Son of Man in Daniel and within the Hebrew Bible is really just an idiom for a human person, for a mortal being, especially in the book of Ezekiel. When God calls Ezekiel Son of Man in Hebrew, it just means, hey, mortal guy, hey, human one. But it's not used as a title for Ezekiel. It's just a designation for a mortal human being. Now, it's clear in the New Testament that Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man, and he thinks of it as a particular title. But that's not what we actually have in First Enoch. So the phrase Son of Man appears 16 times in First Enoch. And 12 of those 16 times uses the demonstrative pronoun in Ethiopic to refer to the Son of Man. So for example, we'll have the phrase that Son of Man, which in Ethiopic is Zeku, that Son of Man. We could see that in chapter 46, verse 2, 48, verse 2, and 62, verse 5. And then we have the close demonstrative pronoun, Zentu, translated as this, to describe the Son of Man in chapter 46, verse 4. So we have that Son of Man using the far Ethiopic demonstrative pronoun, and we have this Son of Man using the close demonstrative pronoun. But we don't actually have the definite article, the Son of Man. We also don't have the emphatic state in Ethiopic. So, a good question that someone might raise is, could the Ethiopic demonstrative pronouns, the far demonstrative pronoun that, or the close demonstrative pronoun this, be translations from the Greek definite article? In other words, if Ethiopic doesn't even have a definite article that they could use, is it possible that the Greek from which the Ethiopic version was translated, that the Greek actually had definite article and the Ethiopic is just doing the best that it could. And the answer to this question is, no, not likely. Because we can look at 
another title that actually is a title describing the Son of Man figure in First Enoch called the Chosen One. And this is often rendered into English as the Chosen One, but in the Ethiopic, it never has a demonstrative pronoun used for this particular title. So obviously, Chosen One is a clear title. It's not just a random designation for somebody, but this title that is clearly a title doesn't have the demonstrative pronoun, so it's unlikely that the Ethiopic translators were taking the Greek definite article and moving it into the demonstrative. Therefore, it would seem that the data in First Enoch is pointing to, quote, son of man, end quote, as being a reference to that human one, that mortal guy, that man, rather than to describing Enoch with the title, namely, the son of man. So that's something we really have to kind of keep clear in our minds, so trying to understand who is Enoch, who is this son of man figure, and what does it actually mean in chapters 37 through 71. This will move us to our third point, which I think is the most interesting, the developing portrayal of the Son of Man figure's identity in First Enoch. So, we already noted that at the conclusion in chapter 71, the author outright identifies the figure of Enoch as you, Son of Man. The writer seems to have also laid some literary clues within the narrative in order to prepare the reader for this climactic identification in the final paragraph in chapter 71, verse 14. So if you're a reader of this and you're paying very close attention to the clues, it seems that the writer has been leaving these breadcrumbs in order for you, the reader, to conclude that Enoch himself is the Son of Man. It's not just something that is said in chapter 71, verse 14. It's something that is hinted at throughout the narrative. So let's begin with looking at this particular evidence. I'm drawing all this evidence, by the way, out of Bauckham's book, The Son of Man, volume 1. So in chapter 37, the opening chapter of the similitudes, in the opening two verses, it says... The second vision which he saw, the vision of wisdom, which Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, saw. That's 37 verses 1 through 2. So, we have the Ethiopic word for son in this particular passage, and that word in Ethiopic is walda. So, when the reader is seeing Enoch introduced in this opening sentence as the son of Enosh and the son of Adam, there's going to be some very intentional suggestions that you might come to realize. So if it says son of Enosh, we have to also remember that Enosh is the Aramaic word for son, particularly the son of that is described in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. Barinosh, the son of man. So if the reader is seeing that 
Enoch is called the son of Enosh, then it's going to bring readers and their attention to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. And of course, the son of Adam would clearly indicate that Adam, which of course is the name of the first human being, but Adam also is just the normal Hebrew noun for human. So to call Enoch the son of Adam could also be hinting at the fact that he is the son of man. And that's just in the opening two verses there. Now, you might think those are a coincidence, but maybe they are some quite subtle ways in which the reader is preparing us for his outright designation at the end of the book. Let's keep looking. In chapter 39, starting in verse 6, it says, And in that place my eyes saw the elect one of righteousness and of faith, and righteousness shall prevail in his days, and the righteous and elect shall be without number before him forever and ever. And I saw his dwelling place under the wings of the Lord of spirits. And all the righteous and elect before him shall be strong as fiery lights. And their mouth shall be full of blessing, and their lips extol the name of the Lord of spirits. And righteousness before him shall never fail, and uprightness shall never fail before him. There I wished to dwell, and my spirit longed for that dwelling place. That's for Enoch chapter 39, verses 6 through 8. So this particular passage seems to suggest that Enoch himself, who is a speaker, is actually desiring to be the son of man who's also described in this passage as the elect one. How do I come to that conclusion? Well, it, we see that Enoch wanted to be in that dwelling place, the dwelling place that belongs to the Son of Man, which is a synonymous term for the elect one. He doesn't long for the dwelling place that's promised to all of the righteous, that's mentioned earlier in 39 verse 4. Enoch wanted to be in the particular dwelling place that is describing the Son of Man. We can also see the phrase, righteousness before him shall never fail, which is referring to the chosen one, namely the other term for the Son of Man. And this phrase is outright said of Enoch when he is identified as the Son of Man in that famous passage in 71 verse 14, where it says, you, Son of Man, dot, 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 the righteousness of the antecedent of time will not fail you. Here in our current passage, it says, righteousness before him shall never fail. So if righteousness will not fail before the chosen one in chapter 39, and righteousness will not fail before Enoch, then clearly the chosen one is Enoch. Let's look at the next reference. In chapter 46, verse 3, it says, This is the Son of Man, who has righteousness, with whom dwells righteousness. That's 46 verse 3. And so the angel tells Enoch here that the Son of Man is the figure who possesses righteousness and in whom righteousness dwells. That much is clear. But of course, this is exactly what's said to Enoch himself in 71 verse 14, where it says, You, Son of Man, who are born in righteousness and in whom righteousness has dwelt. So we see descriptions that are made 
of the Son of Man in 46 verse 3, and a description of Enoch himself in 71 verse 14. Clearly, the author wants you to think that the Son of Man is Enoch. And lastly, in chapter 70, verses 1 through 2, it says, And it came to pass after this that his name, during his lifetime, was raised aloft to that Son of Man and to the Lord of Spirits from amongst those who dwell on the earth. That's first Enoch 70, verses 1 through 2. And so the particular reference here to, quote, his name during his lifetime seems to refer to Enoch during his own lifetime, during his own life on earth. In other words, Enoch was the one who was raised aloft to that Son of Man figure. He was actually exalted to that position. So we have all of these breadcrumbs of evidence where it seems that the author of this particular section is trying to lead the reader to understand that Enoch himself is the Son of Man, so that by the time you get to the climactic conclusion in chapter 71, verse 14, it's not a surprise. They have seen the clues. They have seen the evidence. They can put their finger in the air, and they can see where the wind is blowing. So clearly when the angel says, you, Son of Man, to Enoch, there is no surprise. So, to sum up, the Son of Man figure in First Enoch is not the person of Jesus of Nazareth, as we see in the New Testament Gospels. Clearly, the Son of Man figure in First Enoch is outright identified with Enoch himself, the figure from Genesis chapter 5. And no New Testament writer thinks that Jesus is Enoch. The Son of Man in First Enoch is not actually a title. It simply means the same thing that we observe throughout the Hebrew Bible, throughout Ezekiel, meaning a human one, a mortal one, a man. Now, Son of Man within the New Testament Gospels, however, is a title. Jesus is the Son of Man. It's Jesus' most frequently used title to refer to himself. This is another disconnect between First Enoch, because the way in which Son of Man is used in the two pieces of the literature, meaning First Enoch on the one hand and the New Testament Gospels on the other, Son of Man means something different in each of these bodies of literature. And lastly, for these reasons, it seems quite unlikely that the portrayals of Jesus as the Messianic Son of Man in the New Testament Gospels owes literary dependence upon the depiction of the Son of Man figure in First Enoch. To put it in a different way, Jesus is not the Son of Man in First Enoch. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we explore how the New Testament writers argue that a human being was sufficient to atone for the sins of the world. Did Jesus have to be God in order to make the atonement work? What do the New Testament writers have to say on this topic? Please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can support us absolutely for free by subscribing on YouTube or iTunes, by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. 
If you'd like to offer a donation, please check out the episode's description for a PayPal link. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.